Just kind of want to keep going. Precious name. Oh, how sweet. Hope of earth and joy and of heaven. Well, again, we're so glad that you're here with us today, and we're looking forward to our celebration next week. Hope you have some great plans for the rest of your day and tomorrow. And we do want to remember those who died in service for our country this Memorial Day weekend. I hope you take time to pause. We do have a national cemetery nearby in Holly. It wouldn't be a bad idea if you have nothing to do tomorrow to take a little drive just to remember freedom isn't free. It comes at a great price. And so we're thankful that those that have served that have passed away on our behalf. So we're going to remember that today as well. We're going to stop for a moment and just pray for Sheila Merritt. Sheila has real struggles in her lungs. Uh, this is uh, before COVID, before all that, Sheila has had lots of uh, struggles with her health, although she's a, you might know Sheila as a strong workhorse and she never seems to be down. Uh, well, to her detriment, sometimes that is true. And she has a hard time just slowing down. And And uh, we pray right now for her as she's got to get uh, strength back in her lungs. It's very important. They, we're praying specifically that they don't have to put her on a ventilator. Uh, she's been very very close. Uh, the uh, the person that works in that department has been in working with her lungs and her breathing and trying. They're trying not to go there. We need to pray. We need to to gather in prayer together in faith and proclaim, Lord, we we don't want to see this happen for Sheila. We want to see her not be put on a ventilator. We want her to see her be restored to health. Uh, they are working with tons of steroids right now, and the you know the scary thing is with that is how long can she be on steroids at this strength and this level? And so we're going to pray for Sheila today. Pray for the whole family, Dean um, and Shauna. Uh, Ben's here in the video in this service, uh, Shauna's husband. So the extended family is all at Oakwood, and we want to just come behind them and pray. Let's do that. Why don't you stand with me in, in agreement, right? Let's agree together in prayer this morning. Father, we come on behalf of our sister right now, Sheila. And God, I don't proclaim uh, healing powers. Lord, I don't have anything in me that can heal anybody. But the thing is, is I do know the great physician. And I know that your word tells us that you are able to do all things. And we ask, God, that you heal Sheila. That's our prayer, God. We selfishly, as her brothers and sisters and as your children, God, we come and say we want Sheila restored to health. God, we pray only for your will. But we're letting you know we beg for you to do this act on our behalf and for the family, God. We ask that there be improvement and that Sheila can be regained to health and protect her from COVID, keep her from uh, anything that would make this even worse for her. And God, we pray right now that the doctors, as they're considering things and they've, they've found this virus that she has, they have identified it, I pray that they could treat it. God, give those doctors more wisdom than they've ever trained for. Give them ideas they, they just don't know where they came from that would be the right path. We ask you to do these things, Father. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love Sheila this morning morning. And Father, we do claim the blood of Jesus Christ over this in every situation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said, amen. You can be seated, but we'll ask Jim to come forward this morning. So thankful again that Jim was willing to do this. Uh, I am back, but it is hard to prepare a message while you're on vacation. So it's nice not to even have to think about this. And it's fun to be able to sit and enjoy church with y'all today. Um, I'm going to do it in both services. So we'll see if you get better as you go, Jim. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, 
We'll say a quick prayer for Jim, and then we're going to roll the video. So, Jim, you got a couple more seconds to take a breath and be prepared. Father, thank you again. We come to you today now as your children sitting underneath your word. God, help us to be students. And God, help us to hear your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, as PD mentioned, I'm Jim Bongiorno, one of the elders here, and I am excited to be here sharing uh, God's Word with you this morning. Um, able to give PD a little break from, uh, uh, from all he has to do and taking that, you know, that tough two weeks in the, uh, Hawaii. So um, I'm especially excited about speaking on the Book of Romans, a uh, foundational book. And uh, if you haven't read it all the way through since we started this uh, series, you need to do that because uh, the book, um, it's called uh, by some the Magna Carta of, uh, of the Bible, of the New Testament, and it's an exciting book. And uh, when you read through it, you'll find so many things that maybe you didn't know, and it's, uh, again, foundational for your Christian beliefs. Um, and we've been talking, I, I have the privilege of speaking on the chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Um, and we're going to do a little review uh, of, of what we've done. We've been going through uh, the last two chapters, and Paul's been, I'll, I'll use the word, belaboring uh, the fact that we are sinners, right? And we're going to talk more about that, so I apologize for that, but um, it's important. Uh, PD talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, his big idea was, I fought the law and the law won. And uh, then last week, uh, Bruce talked about his heart condition, the condition of your heart. And um, uh, like I said, Paul tends to be long-winded. So as he's talking about sin, he continues on this way. And we're going to go through it again today. And me, I'm a bullet points kind of guy. I like to, you know, give me the important things and I'm, I'm walking away, right? Or, uh, if you will, the cliff notes kind of guy. <laughs> That's what I like. Uh, I took a class back in uh, school. Cheryl and I both were at Western Michigan University, and we had to take a class called Freshman Reading. And if you're a reader, that's a great class. And if you're not like me, I hated that class. We didn't have to go to class. All we had to do was read these books and go take a test. So Cheryl read all four books, diligently studied for them, got aced everything. I didn't read any of the books, Walked in blind and took a multiple choice test and got a B. And (laughs) walked away like this, you know, thinking, I got away with that. And I still tell the story and think it's funny. But as it turns out, that's not the way God wants us to study his word. For, uh, I've been saved like 30, 40 years now. My wife has studied 
the Bible diligently for those 40 years, and I've been taking cliff notes. It's important to study God's Word. Today, as we uh, begin this uh, time, we're going to go through again. It's belabored. Paul's going to continue on with some things he's been saying, but it's important to do that. And so uh, I guess I got to turn this on here. Excuse me. So today, we're going to continue on. Oh, boy. Already. Okay, the big idea. It's going to be called guilty as charged, but now what, right? So we're going to recognize that we're sinners. If, if we haven't already, we're going to recognize it uh, in this next, uh, uh, you know, when Paul's done today. And then I used as my uh, foundational scripture, the very last scripture from this group of 3, 1 through 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Let's begin with a a short prayer. Uh, Father, I thank you today again for the privilege and honor of sharing your word with your people here at Oakwood, my family, Lord. I ask you to just use me this morning, speak through me, deliver the word that you have, uh, have had me prepare in a powerful and effective way. Father, I pray for each one here that is listening here or uh, over the uh, internet, that they would hear what you want them to hear and let them apply it to their lives in, in their daily lives, Lord. Let this not just be a message that goes in one ear and out the other. Uh, thank you for your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to walk through the verses a couple at a time, and so we'll read them directly. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So in this verse, Paul's been talking in chapter 2 about the Jews. Circumcision, circumcision, physical versus circumcision of the heart. And uh, because of that, he's kind of knocking them down a peg, saying it's not so great to be a Jew. Don't think you're so high and mighty just because God uh, gave you circumcision and some of the other things that he's given them. So he spent the last couple chapters knocking him down a peg, and now he's going to kind of, he's throwing him a bone. He says, uh, hey, there's much in every way, right? First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with every, the very words of God, excuse me. And that is an advantage. The Bible, what we call our Old Testament, was given to the Jews. The story of man was given to them to, to keep, to, to record the, through Moses, the prophets, psalmists, all of them put together this book that we call the Old Testament. And um, because of that, uh, the early church, when, when, when Jesus came to earth, he sat with the Jews. He came to the Jews first. In fact, all the uh, apostles were Jews. And so it was important to be a Jew. They had also received promises, and I call them covenants, with uh, God. And so there were some advantages there. Um, and then all through the, old, uh, the New Testament, we find Old Testament quotes. Today, we're going to go through several of them. Paul uses them in Romans. And then John quotes it, Peter. There's a lot of quotes from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Jews actually did a great job of recording everything. When Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, the Bible was intact. The Old Testament, the books, um, all the scrolls, all that had been recorded and kept meticulously. And we have them to this day because of them. So that's a great thing. The one thing that they lacked at the time, the Jews, 
We're caught up in tradition. Jesus had nothing good to say about the Pharisees. He ripped on them. He talked to them because they were, he called them that, um, that they just didn't do the right things, right? You know, they were more caught up in tradition and religion than they were in relationship. Today, we're going to focus on relationship because we're not so much different than them. There's so many people within the church, churches today, not necessarily our church, but the churches in our, our country where people are caught up in going to church on Sunday and living their lives the way they want to live the rest of the week. That's not God's plan for our lives. God wants to, us to know him, right? He wants us to live for him. So we're not that much different. So uh, let's do a quick review. God gave the Jews the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. It tells the story of God from the beginning to the end. Sometimes we think of the book as, you know, Genesis to Revelation, and that's true because we have the New Testament. But all the story of, of Jesus, the Messiah coming and all that, came uh, in the Old Testament. God made promises or covenants with the Jews. It's quoted often in the New Testament. And the Jewish people had the advantage of knowing who God was and what his expectations were. Let's move on. Verses 3 and 4. God is judge. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. His first quote from the Old Testament in this verse, uh, Psalm 51.4, it's a very interesting psalm because that psalm was written by David at a time that he had been found out right after the biggest sin of his life, at least the one, only one recorded that we know of. He had been, if you remember the story, on a rooftop of his palace overlooking uh, the city and he saw Bathsheba bathing, lusted after uh, her in his heart, called for her, laid with her. Next thing you know, she's pregnant. What does he do? He tries to hide it, gets a hold of her, her husband who was a soldier in the army, brought him home, tried to get him to lay with his wife so he could kind of play off this and make him think it's his own son or daughter, and he uh, it fails at that. So the next thing he does, he takes it the next step, and he goes ahead and has him go back to battle, and he sends orders for him to go to the front of the line and then for everybody to back up, and he gets killed. My wife pointed out that in this one event that um, David sinned, he broke four of the commandments, you know, that's a lot. You know, he lied, he, he coveted, he murdered, he committed adultery. Yet David is called a man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because David knew how to repent. He knew when to fall on God's grace. He knew when to use that. Was he unfaithful? Absolutely. That verse, it says, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge, that's uh, the way Paul quoted it. When you look that up in the uh, Old Testament, in the NIV, it says, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He acknowledged his sin. He said, I get it. I blew it. You're right. I'm wrong. He got it. 
David knew how to do that. I, I am um, going to encourage you to read Psalm 51 if you get a chance. We're going to quote from it a little later in this message, but if you, if you don't get enough of that, 51 is a great psalm. Like I said, David wrote that after that. Now, what happened was David tried to hide this sin, right? But we can't hide sin. We can hide it from people around us, but we can't hide it from God. And God knew what he had done. The Bible says God was displeased with what he did. Was he displeased with the sin? Yeah, a little bit. But you know what he was more displeased with? Hiding it, trying to hide it. So Nathan, the prophet at the time, he comes up and he shares a story and a little analogy. I think when he did it, he was thinking David will surely see himself in this story. But David doesn't. In fact, at the end of the story, he's outraged. Who is this man? He needs to die. And that's when Nathan points it out. You know what? That man was you. And I can't even imagine what what David was thinking at that moment. I found out God knew all along. I think of him as an accountability partner. He shared something with David that David was trying to hide. Hidden sin in our life does terrible things. It keeps us from our relationship with God, a communication. Our prayers are unanswered. We've got to confess the sin. David was lucky to have a man like Nathan. In my life, I have Keith Monroe. We started uh, praying together, studying together. We've gotten close over the last four years since we both retired at the same time. And he's an accountability partner to me. Thank you, brother. We are able to share with each other truths that might not otherwise come out. If I'm doing something wrong, he's going to tell me. If he's doing something wrong, I'm going to tell him. And you know what? That's the way God wants it. We all need someone like that, right, in our lives. We're going to go back to that in a minute, but let's review this. David initially hid his sin. The prophet Nathan called David out for his sin. David acknowledged his sin and recognized God's right to judge him. In 51.4 there, we all need an accountability partner. David had Nathan. Who do you have? Think about someone in your life that you could use. A good enough friend. It's a hard thing to do to call somebody out when you see something going on in their lives that shouldn't. We tend to overlook them personally, our own selves. A good friend will share that with you. He will take you beyond that. He had Nathan, and he's lucky he did. Who knows what it would have looked like, what David's reign would have looked like if he had never confessed that sin and moved on with his life. It would have been crazy. Instead, we look at him as one of the greatest kings of the whole Jewish history. Let's move on to verse 5 and 8. I don't know how long I'm taking here, so I can't afford to dally. All right. Oh, boy. But if our, these are verses 5 through 8. But if our right, unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory... Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, 
Let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Let us do evil that good may result. Who thinks that's a good idea? You know, I, I, I look at this in the Bible and I think, why did Paul have to write that? What was going on in the Roman church that they were thinking this is a good idea, you know? And I, I kind of think, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this one because uh, um, I think the end justifies the means, a terrible argument. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I, I'm, it's, it's never occurred to me to do that. So uh, I'm not saying that God never gets glorified after a sin in our life. We can make mistakes and God can use them. But we're not supposed to do that on purpose. In, uh, in chapter 6, Paul hits this a little bit harder, and I'm sure PD is going to get there one of these days uh, when we get to chapter 6 and talk about it. But in verses 5 through, uh, uh, in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? That's not saying we're never going to sin again, right? We're going to sin. We have to, we're going to make mistakes because we're human. But God's expectations of us are that we're not going to live in that sin. We're not going to continue in that sin. It's not deliberate. Once we make the mistake, we go to him on our knees we ask for forgiveness. We move on. We don't live in it any longer. That's all I'm going to spend on that one. Let's go on to verses 9 through 12. What shall we conclude then? We're finally getting to a conclusion on these first three uh, chapters. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Talking to the Jews again. Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there was no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands. There was no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have be- uh, together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So if this first three chapters was a fireworks display, this is the grand finale. This is the big, the big guns are coming out right now. He's pulling out every scripture he can name. He's going to go through and quote a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to hammer it home. And this one in particular, this scripture comes from Psalm 14. Same quote. Not only Psalm 14, Psalm 53 uses the exact same three verses. To me, I know if I'm trying to remember something three times, how do you get this information three different times, right? God's telling us three different times in the Bible, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and now here in Romans, that we are not righteous, that we're straying away, right? All through history, man has done this kind of thing. Man's desire to exalt himself and to put God down. There's uh, example after example. I mean, they come to mind just men like... uh, Napoleon, who just wanted to take over the world. More recently, Hitler, uh, who, who's taking on the war because he wanted to be somebody, right? The pharaohs of Egypt, they were all considered deity at the time. That was their legacy. They wanted to be important. They wanted to, you know, uh, put God down. But that wasn't the way. In fact, in chapter 1, when, when uh, P.D. was talking, he said God gave man over to their sinful desires, because man is inherently evil. And when we just let our own imaginations run, we don't do good things. All through history, that's happened. The technology can change. 
The climate can change. The way we get around changes. Communication. All the different things we're doing. Man, so much different now than we were, you know, 5,000 years ago. But we're not really different. We're the same. Our hearts never changed. The things that Paul talked about here that he wrote 2,000 years ago were written 500 years before that. And those things are still true today. They remind me uh, so much of today's uh, headlines. Paul quotes, uh, let's go ahead and, did I just do that? I'm sorry. Paul quotes the Old Testament to make his point. What is true about man 3,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, is still true today about man. And man left to his own devices will fail to meet God's expectations. We can't do it on our own. We need to rely on God. That's what it's all about. Let's keep on going because Paul's not done yet. Verses 13 and 14. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. That's from the Psalm 5. The poison of viper is on their lips. Psalm 140. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Psalm 10. Paul again, quoting the Old Testament. He's using the Bible of his day to show that man has never changed. He's using it in the New Testament because we don't tend to read it as much. It's there for us to know. It's talking about the tongue. And the tongue is mentioned so many times in Scripture. Um, Proverbs talks about it. Uh, the book of James is full. I'm going to speak from the book of James because our, my small group's been studying James together. And boy, when you talk about the tongue, in this uh, particular Scripture, is verses 5 and 6, uh, he had just been, James had just been talking, about, comparing a, a rudder on a ship to the tongue. And he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the mouth. And we do uh, a lot of things with our mouth. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble with lies, uh, gossip, boasting, exaggeration, slander. The list is endless. Do you ever tell a small lie? Just a little lie to try to just cover up something. It was no big deal. Let's tell a little lie. And then somebody kind of questions something and you got to tell another lie to cover that first lie. I know maybe none of you have done it, but I have. And uh, beyond that, sometimes it goes again. That gets questioned and somewhere you have to lie again and the next thing you know, you're in a place that you never wanted to be. And it started with this little tiny lie. One thing out of our mouth. One small slip of the tongue. We have to be careful with our mouths. We need to talk, uh, be careful with what we say. Can James continues on in verses 9 through 11. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. 
My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Praise and cursing, salt water fresh, double-mindedness. Is that how we live our lives? Do we come to church on Sunday, act one way, go to work the next day and act differently? It's a tough life to do this, but we need to control our tongue. We need to understand what's in our heart is going to come out. We need to be like-minded with God, not double-minded. So which one are we? Let's just do a quick review. What comes out of a man's mouth reveals what's in his heart. What comes out of your mouth? Just think about that. We'll move on. Verses 15 through 18. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. Again, quote from Isaiah. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36. Does anything sound familiar? Again, this was written 2,000 years ago, quoting something that was written 500 years earlier, and it's still true today. Quick to shed blood. Look at this random mass killings that we've had. The Texas thing just a couple days ago, right? Our own community here in Oxford just five or six months ago. Senseless, but that's man's heart. Ruin and misery. Look at our own country. Pandemic, inflation, and we have it good. We're one of the countries that has it good. All around the world, there's misery, there's ruin. These people's lives, they don't have enough to eat. They don't have good places to sleep. They don't have water. And we worry about not getting something from the, <laughs> the grocery store. They're short on the shelves. No peace. Look around, Ukraine, Russia, Korea, the Middle East. There's other countries doing the same thing. Our own country, in the big cities, there's unrest. Poli- you know, uh, things with the police that where the people are turning against them. And so often, it's just no, it's not what we want to be. It's because man's heart, again, is evil. No fear of God. What have we done? No prayer in schools back in the 60s. Now we've changed the rules for transgender. Is it a boy? Is he a girl? We can't define what a woman is. You know, God didn't expect any of that. He set the rules down. He never changes. Just because our society changes, just because, you know, we think we're woke or whatever you want to use, whatever term, that's not where God wants to be. He set, a, he set the rules in place at the very beginning. The Jews kept those words for us. We know how God thinks. I was surprised. I was listening to Bob Tuco the other day, and Bob Tuco says uh, he has a whole thing of, of top 10 proofs. I don't know if any of you have ever listened to him, but I've got them all, and I've gone through them a few times, and there's one on America being a Christian nation, founded on Christian principles. And the one that I liked, or the one that kind of caught my attention was the one on education. Our public schools that right now I think are shameful in the way of the way they're treating God were founded on Christian principles. 
the two main leaders of the early, of the early school systems were Noah Webster, William McDuffie. Noah Webster, who you know wrote the uh, dictionary, also wrote the first curriculums for our public schools, and they are all Christian foundational. He used the Bible as his basis. He used it for moral principles. He used it for reading. He used it for everything. William McDuffie, my, I think my kids used the McDuffie readers when they were young in, in school. It's still being used today, a Christian foundation. We're not there anymore. We've come a long way away from that. So review, we live in a fallen world. Bloodshed, destruction, and despair is man's mark in the world. And it's simple. No God, no peace. Before I do that, I want to go on. Uh, I was reading some recent headlines. I forgot to say that. Here are some headlines that I just read yesterday, and I just wrote them down. You are going to get COVID again and again and again. Number two, flash droughts are the Midwest's next big climate threat. Monkeypox outbreak could be just the peak of the iceberg, warns the World Health Organization. Nineteen children, two adults, killed in Texas school rampage. And another one, gas prices hit new high as summer driving season starts. You think there's fear in the world? No God, no peace. Let's move on to the last verses. Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We don't have any excuses. God's going to hold us accountable. The law is out there. We know what it is. Now, we know um, and we'll never be declared righteous for the, what we have. So, guilty as charged. That was my main thought, right? But now what? What does that mean? What do we do with that information? We know we're sinners. And obvious, the first thing that everyone's going to think of, and I think is, is, is right, is we need to ask Jesus Christ into our lives as Savior. We must turn from sin and turn to God. Turn from sin, repent. Repent of your sin. Turn to God. Embrace him. What does true repentance look like? James, again, has some answers for us. I'm going to read it. Verses 4, I mean chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Submit yourselves to God, then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. As I said, a first step of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's an important first step, but that's not where it ends. We have to take it to the next level. We're supposed to be living our lives for God. James, submit yourselves to God. What's that look like? 
putting him first, putting us second, asking him in the morning, what should I be doing today, Lord? Instead of my plans, what are your plans for my life? Submission. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. That sounds like a no-brainer, right? How many of us have entertained the devil? Because something's enticing. You know, the flesh is weak, but it's pleasurable to sin. There are a lot of things in our lives that we consider pleasurable that are sin. So we entertain them. We watch them. We watch the show we shouldn't watch. We look at the things we shouldn't look at. We say the things we shouldn't say. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Flee. That means your little bit of resistance sends him running. That's a powerful tool. Come near to God. How do we come near to God? It's a good step right here. We're all in church. First step. Bible study. How many of you have a morning reading ritual that you go through the Bible? His word. Prayer time. How many of us spend time getting to know him through prayer? Small groups, Christian fellowship, all those things bring us closer to God. When we, the Bible says, come near to God, he'll come near to us. I want that in my life, right? Wash your hands, that's an easy one. I made a mistake. I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. I'm washing my hands. I'm walking away from the sin in my life. I don't want this anymore. Purify your hearts. That's something you can't do on your own. You can't do that. You can ask God for purification, but you're not going to get that on your own. You can ask for forgiveness. You can wash your hands, but you've got to bow before him and ask for him to purify your heart. This next one's the hardest part for me. Grieve, mourn, and wail. How many of you have ever grieved, mourned, and wailed over a sin in your life? Something you don't... God wants us to do that. You ever been around someone that, uh, maybe a little kid that mom's told her to apologize, and he walks up and says, sorry, real quick, and you go, that wasn't a real apology, right? I think we do that with God a lot of times. We make a mistake, and we say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I won't do that again, Lord. He thinks we ought to be grieving over our sin. We should be mourning. It should make us think about what have we done? How am I impacting my relationship with God by the sin in my life? God, I'm sorry. Wail, crying about it. I'll I'll be honest with you. That's hard for me to get that. The Bible says your laughter should turn to mourning and your joy to gloom when you sin. And finally, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I think if you've done those first six steps, you've already accomplished that humbling yourself. And I'm ready to be lifted up by the Lord. <clears throat> Maybe you could start your day like this. PD's favorite scripture, uh, Psalm 139. The last four or two verses say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You ever ask God to search your heart? You ever search your own heart? I do that. I sit down. I'm in my prayer time. And I ask God, I I tell God, okay, I'm sorry. I think it back on the day before and I I remember this and I remember that. I got a couple things. 
Then I ask God to re, uh, search my heart. And then I get out a sheet of paper and a pen. Because you know what? The things we discount, the things that we think are unimportant, the little things, they're important to God. When he searches our heart, he digs deep. He wants to change us. He wants us to be better. David understood how to repent. He understood what that was all about. I told you Psalm 51 earlier. I'm going to read a little more from it. The first two verses says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Again, he wrote this after his biggest sin in his life. He was found out. And I'm glad all my sins aren't published like David's were for all of us to read and to understand. He knew how to do this. Have mercy on me, God. He falls on his knees before him. He trusted in God's unfailing love and his great compassion for him to blot out his transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. Forgive me, Lord. He's crying out. He continues on in verses 10 through 13. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors their ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Create in me a pure heart. He's asking God to do the work. A steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me for, I need to be in your presence at all times, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit in order to do this, to live that life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me. Sustain me to live this life. And what's it say? Then I will teach transgressors their way so that sinners will turn back to you. The gospel urgency that PD's been talking about every week. Our lives should reflect the good living that God expects from us. We should be examples, walking examples for people that are sinners and don't know him. They should look at us and say, I want what he has, what she has. How do I get that, what you have? The peace when there's trouble, the love, the compassion. How do I get that, Lord? He mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well. Changing the laws in our country don't change the way people are going to act. Changing their hearts changes the way people are. It's an urgent matter, Lord, uh, right now for us to promote the Lord, to tell people about Him, to change hearts, one heart at a time. That's the way we'll see a change in this country and in this world. Yes, we should bring up the, the band right now. PD, I'll pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the message that you have today in your word in Romans here. Father, we recognize uh, your great mercy, your unfailing love, your care for us, and your desire for us to know you better. Today, Father, I pray that we would... Um, take that message to heart, turn to you, turn away from our sin and just embrace you in a way we've never done before. I thank you for everyone that was here, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you.
Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful that our elders can handle the Word of God and present it in a clear way? I'm thankful for that. And uh, yeah, thank you, Jim. We'd, we'd kind of talked the week before I left, and Jim was already reading ahead, and he's like, man, the, the amount of, of reading it takes uh, to prepare for this, like, you know, like you said, Paul, Paul sure goes on and on, and I think we've got the point, and it's a good break right now, because we've, we've kind of wrapped it up. Uh, the next verse you'll see there says, but God... And that's where we'll pick it up, but not until like late July, because uh, we've got a celebration next Sunday, and then for the next four weeks after that, we're going to start a series called The Elephant in the Room, and we're going to deal with four major societal issues, controversial, uh, but we're going to preach them both from the truth and the grace point of views. Uh, so we're going to present truth and grace uh, while we do that. Then we'll come back, and we'll get to that good news. I think Paul... I think we get it. Everybody say amen. I think we get it, Paul. We're all sinners. Nobody's special. Nobody's going to pass. We're all equal underneath the law. We're, we're guilty as charged. And so I'm excited that, uh, that this has come to this point, and we can be thankful for Jesus. We've been hearing about guilt, but we should always be thankful for Jesus. And I love this song. I asked Phil if we could close with this. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Stand with us as we sing this wonderful remembrance that Jesus did prepare for us a way. <laughs> 